to Lakeland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Good, good. It is. Uh, are you guys awake? Are you alive? All right, good. I'm not so sure. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, you know, I was just standing back there in the corner. I was just overwhelmed. I think, oh, man. You know what? The Lord has such a the, the thing the Lord just, uh, I don't know, I felt like I just got a glimpse into his heart. You know, we're singing this song, The Blessing. I believe the Lord does want to bless, no doubt. But the biggest thing that just impressed upon my heart is love. He has such a love for you. such love. I, I think the church as a whole, and I'm just going to, I'll be right in there with you on this. It's this one-sided love relationship. Do you ever have a crush on somebody and they didn't like you back? How messed up that makes you feel. It's like you want them all the more. I think this is God's love for us. It's just this, it's so intense and so for us. And I think so many of us are like, it's cool, God. And we just move on. Or we just keep on. I just, I don't know, during that song, I'm just sitting there going, what does it look like for us to just love him back? To the love that he loves you. Like he just loves you so much. And we, re- we reciprocate so poorly. So halfway. I was reading uh, in the book of Deuteronomy yesterday. And there's this passage where it's such a blessing actually. Where God is actually saying, be strong and courageous. You're going to take the the promised land. The Lord's going to go before you. He's going to give you all this land. And then the following verses, like Deuteronomy 31, the following verses go right on to say, oh, and by the way, and you're all going to reject me and turn to other gods. And it's like, I'm reading it. I'm like, this is crazy. God is just declaring. He's telling Moses, you know, hey, you're not going to go into the promised land. He's basically passing it all over to Joshua. Joshua's going to lead him into the promised land. God's going to deliver everything to him. And then he's like, oh, and by the way, you guys are all going to turn to all the foreign gods there in the land. I'm like, that sucks. That's how I felt. I'm reading. I'm like, this is crazy that this is how, but this is who our God is. He just loves so relentlessly. And I'm like, when will there be a people who will love you back the way you love us? As I was reading that yesterday, I just felt like, man, if there's, if there's anything I can do, God, that I could love you back 
Like, I think what you just are longing for without being distracted by the things of this world and caught up with the stuff of this world and miss out on all the blessing you have for us. You know, the, the song, and the generation after generation after generation, this is right there. It's right in Deuteronomy as well as I was reading, where it's like it's for your children and their children and the children after that, but it's all kind of based on our love back for him. And I just wonder, will, will, will we ever get to that place? And I think it just starts with this posture of going, God, I just want to... I need you to awaken something within me because I think my own personal distracted life will always find something else to see as shiny this week and be distracted by that. As opposed to just love you. And so like even for me yesterday, I found myself, what I have to do is I have to just go, okay, I just need to worship right now. I just need to worship you. Just all other distraction, go away because I just need to love you back. And if I don't do that every single day, I'll probably find myself distracted by the shiny. Right? So God, may we love you back. May you awaken something within us this year where we would not be distracted by all the things of this world, that the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. God, awaken something within us because I know you have such a love for us. You have such a love for me. May I love you back. May we love you back the way you deserve to be loved. May you be what our eyes are just drawn to. Our affection is given to. Our love returns to. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, that's a bonus, bonus message, okay? All right, good. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so let's get into Rethinking Church. I'm, I'm really excited about this whole series. Um, 2020 was a, a doozy of a year, right, for a lot of us. Just kind of threw everything on its head. Every the way that you think about your life probably got a little bit turned upside down, right? Um, the way that we thought about how to do school, how to do work, how to, do, how to interact with people even. All this stuff got turned upside down. And it's true for the church as well. There are churches right here in our county who aren't back in person yet. You know, you think about that. It's just kind of like it's unbelievable to think about how church going online, churches closing their doors, small groups going online. Uh, but it's also broadened our reach, which is pretty awesome. We've got people, you know... Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking right now, inspired coffee, watching us, watching Pastor Josh cry. Great. Uh, no, it's awesome. So, But we got inspired coffee. We got places all around the United States that are tuning in this morning. It's just awesome. Um, but the Lord has been leading us on a journey, just asking and, and causing us to really question, like deal with this question of what is church? Like when the church got closed down in March, you immediately, I found myself having to go and say, what constitutes church? Like what means, what does it mean to be a church, to go to church, to like what, what's the, I don't know, 
If you boil it all down, what makes a church a church? Is it gathering? Is that what makes a church a church? Is it singing? Is it preaching? Is it giving? Is it praying? Is it practicing the sacraments? Like what makes a church a church? And so when we say rethinking church for this series, it's not about coming up with something new at all. It's instead, it's kind of going back to the the roots, if you will, of the early church, Acts chapter 2, and, and saying, what does it mean for the church to be the church? And, um, and during the series, that's what we're going to be pressing into. And I want to start by giving you two statistics, okay? Two statistics that always rattle around in my head, probably don't rattle around in your head, but they rattle around in mine. Uh, the first one is 60%, and the second one is 8%. So 60% and 8%. Here's what those two stats mean and represent. 60% is the percentage of people, go to the next slide. 60% is the number of people who are unchurched, de-churched, or non-churched in our nation. Now, we often talk about them in terms of uh, because lives are at stake. It's those who don't know Christ. And um, here's the deal. That's probably... uh, I don't know if that's even a national statistic, if that's accurate. There have been some recent surveys that have been done that have actually shown that that number is probably creeping closer to 85% actually. 85% de-churched, unchurched, non-churched in our nation. Um, If you go globally, that's way above the 90s in most nations. 8%, the 8% number is the number, uh, it's the percentage of people who could attend church in person if they wanted to. Like if they're like, ah, we're all in, that's the number of people who could actually fit into church buildings at all services. And that's uh, like, not just Lakeland, that's all of Walworth County. That would be a national, maybe down south, there might be a little bit more churches per capita down there. Uh, but in other nations, it might be lower, but you can see it's a, it's a pretty, the numbers don't add up. So if, here's the deal. If you start to make a dent in the 60%, which is those, because lives are at stake, it's all those people who don't know Christ when they sleep on, in on a Sunday morning, they're not sleeping in from anything. They're just sleeping in because they have no intention of like pursuing God, period. If you start to make a dent in that number, you're going to quickly run into the second number, which is not having actually enough space to actually fit those people. And um, here's the deal. I would argue that more and bigger buildings is not the long-term scalable solution for the church. I don't think it was ever God's intention either. Yet God's intention is the church would reach everywhere and make and the gospel message would go to everyone. Think about the great commandment, go and make disciples of all nations, right? So how do you continue to reach into the 60 plus percent makes with the space constraints of 8%? And so we've got to think differently. I was actually, I was meeting with a business uh, leader, uh, owner of a business back in the fall, and he made this statement to me, and it's just been rattling around in my head and uh, just kind of creates this, I don't know, holy discontent maybe, or, or I don't know, a tension within me that I feel like should be able to be resolved in some way. He said this, the largest um, uh, transportation business, Uber, basically has a headquarters, but no fleet of cars. The largest uh, Res, uh, vacation business, Airbnb, basically has a headquarters with no property. And immediately he made these statements, and I bounced back immediately to him, and I said, is it possible for the church to have kind of a headquarters, a building, and yet maybe be one of the most influential things on the planet uh, without needing more facilities, with, without needing more buildings, perhaps, or uh, th- that type of thing. Is it possible to become a church making a dent in the 60% without really needing to move the needle at all on the 8% space issue? Is it possible for the church like Lakeland to truly go and make disciples anywhere? 
And I think the answer is yes, but the long-term scalable solution, it's actually nothing new. So what I want to do is I want to take us back on a journey to the establishment of the early church. And I want to just look at some of the things that were kind of centralized and what became decentralized. And what you'll discover is there's, uh, there's just a little bit that stays centralized and most of it goes decentralized in terms of how the church functions. So we'll go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. This is Peter talking to a massive crowd. And um, because the Holy Spirit has landed on them and they're like speaking in tongues and amazing things are happening. And he starts talking to them and he says this. He's telling them basically the gospel about who Jesus Christ is. They died on the cross for their sins. Um, They crucified him, but they can put their faith in him. And he says this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, I don't care what time period you live in, 3,000 new people coming to your church, we call that church explosion. That's good church growth numbers, right? So now, what do they do when 3,000 new people are are at their church? Well, obviously, they're going to start a building campaign, right? Build a bigger building. Get their Sunday school classrooms in shape. All that, right? No, they they don't do any of that, actually. Continue on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with, with awe at the many wonders and the signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So you've got this amazing move where a ton of people give their life to Christ, the church, explosive growth. And what do they start doing? Well, you see a lot of things they start, the, that are centralized. They start gathering regularly, daily to hear the apostles teaching, but then they're daily meeting in their homes. They're breaking bread. They're sharing with one another. They're caring for one another. Okay, so we'll hop to Acts chapter 6, okay? Acts chapter 6. Um, they're still in Jerusalem and their numbers are increasing. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. So you got a couple different Jewish pockets, if you will, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So they're, every day they're basically distributing, it's like a food pantry. They're helping everyone eat, okay? So the 12 disciples gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now he's not being rude and saying, hey, food distribution is bad. He's just saying, hey, we as the apostles, the disciples, we need to focus on the word of God and we need to empower you guys to do this care thing for one another. So brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom and we'll turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the word of God actually now continues to spread faster. Why? Why? Because these guys are now doing what they're supposed to be doing, and the people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, and they've got some things that are centralized and a whole lot of stuff that is decentralized, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased 
rapidly. Okay, so now years go by, actually, and then persecution comes to the early church, okay? And the apostle Paul, before we know him as Paul, is referred to as Saul. He's one of the guys leading this persecution, okay? Acts chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the, the apostles were scattered. All except who? The apostles stayed, everyone else goes. Everyone else scatters everywhere, okay, throughout Judea and Samaria. But Saul began to destroy the church. Remember, this is before he's converted to Christ. This is before Christ, is, he's had this amazing encounter with Jesus. And, he, and we be, he becomes known as we know him as the Apostle Paul, who starts, he's the greatest missionary of the entire New Testament. Going from where? From house to house. Why is he going house to house? Because this is where they're doing church. He's going house to house. He dragged out both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word Wherever they went. Say this with me. Wherever they went. Say it with me. Wherever they went. Try it again. Wherever they went. Where did they take the gospel? Wherever they went. Where should we take the gospel? Wherever we go. Wherever they went. Okay, so they took it wherever they went. Now Acts chapter 8 verse 14, as they take the gospel wherever they go, which is out to Samaria, notice what happens. The apostles, they're in Jerusalem. And they heard that Samaria had accepted the word. So now, what do they do? They're going to now send leadership, Peter and John, to Samaria to help now bring structure and leadership to what has been established out in the outer perimeters in new areas. So, <laughs> I think that's the last verse I want to go to. So there's some things that are centralized and there's some things that are decentralized. Here's some things that are centralized. Teaching, the protection of doctrine and leadership. These are, the, in fact, throughout the entire New Testament, the Apostle Paul's always writing to try to correct doctrine. As things go awry in other places, you, you've got these, lead, these leaders, these early church leaders who are basically, they're teaching, they're devoting themselves to the word of God, to prayer, to protecting the doctrine and leadership as necessary. And then there's a whole lot that becomes decentralized in the church. And that becomes care, like food distribution, caring for one another selling possessions, meeting each other's needs. Community, that happens in people's homes. They just start living with one another and living differently. And then this other thing, which I would call mission or outreach or making an impact, that happens by the church at large. Because when they're scattered, they took the gospel wherever they went and they start making an impact there. Now, here's the deal. The long-term scalable solution is something that's been around since the early church, and it's this. It's empowering the, the smaller expression of the church to be experienced anywhere. That's decentralized. While experiencing support and leadership and teaching of the apostles or church leaders, which is, that's what's centralized. Here at Lakeland, we've always valued and kind of elevated the importance of small groups. The, this moving from rows to circles has always been central to the things that we're talking about. Getting into smaller kind of entities. But it's time that we get an upgrade here around our small groups so the church can be what the church actually was designed to be 2,000 years ago. So what we want to do is we want to actually empower our small groups to become something more holistic that we're going to actually be calling impact communities here at Lakeland. So what's an impact community? If I were to just kind of give it to you really quickly, the basic foundation of an impact community is we're talking about this with people. It's this. It's you, five of your friends, and a God-given impact dream. That's it. You, five, start there. 
Because every church every be, it began with just a few people together and an impact dream taking it wherever they went. And now here's how it's immediately different from a small group. I picture small groups a little bit like hot tubs. <laughs> you get in a hot tub and you simmer. You face inward. There's not a whole lot of room. Has, this, has anyone ever, well, besides like going to a resort, you never find a hot tub that's made for 30 people, right? There's just like, you can't just keep inviting more and more people into the hot tub. There's no room, right? But this is the impact communities are not hot tubs where it's like we just all face inward. We become our little holy huddle. There's not a whole lot of room for other people to join us. Impact communities are all driven by making waves in huge ways to make an impact in culture and inviting other people to be a part of that, to make waves with you. I want to read to you um, out of this book. This is, uh, this is such a simple, easy read. It's a no frills book. It's called The Untold Story of the New Testament Church. And yet it's like totally wrecks me over when I just read uh, how the early church was established. Um, it's by Frank uh, Viola. And um, j- just listen to how these guys made waves in, the, in their early culture. Okay, so Antioch of Syria is one of the first places that the gospel makes it, okay? It's typical of all Greco-Roman cities of the first century. And by the way, when you hear the description here, you're going to think 2020 sounds beautiful, okay? Compared to what these people were going through. It is a pestle of infectious disease. They had the Rona. (laughs) Sickness is highly visible on the streets. Swollen eyes, skin rashes, lost limbs are readily seen in public. The city is populated with recent newcomers, uh, so it's uh, it's peopled by strangers. The city is filled with misery, danger, despair, fear, and hatred. The average family lives in filthy, crowded quarters. At least a half of the children die at birth during infancy or during infancy. Most children lose one parent before reaching maturity. There's intense ethnic antagonism, which breeds hatred and fear. This problem is worsened by constant influx of foreigners. Crime is rampant. The streets are unsafe at night. Many are homeless. What Christianity will bring to the city and others is a new culture capable of making life in this Greco-Roman cities more tolerable. The community of Jesus Christ, the church, will bring, listen to this, joy, hope, charity, a sense of family, and social solidarity to such cruel conditions. Let me hop on over. This is uh, in the town like of Galatia. This is what it had been like in the Roman colonies, okay? Um, they were dirty, smelly, unsafe because of these conditions. Many of the people were racked with disease and malnutrition. The average life expectancy for a guy was 45, for a woman 38. Of all human uh, born in the empire, half die before age five. Women usually marry in their early teens and raise family until uh, they pass childbearing age. Very little birth control is practiced. 25% of babies do not survive their first year. Three out of every 10 Jewish children die before the age of eight. For most of the population, first century Galatia is a thankless, loveless, horrible place to live. But what Paul and Barnabas bring to them uh, and what they preach, the gospel of Jesus Christ, causes this once heathen, superstitious, selfish, miserable Gentiles to fall in love with one another, to sing, to smile, and to glow with the joy of Jesus. The churches of of Galatia are classless societies. They become known as that. Where social distinctions become erased. Jews, Gentiles, slave, free, rich, poor, no longer exist. The believers see themselves as part of a new family. 
part of a new race, part of a new colony from the heavenly realm. They eat together. They work together. They greet each other with a holy kiss. They raise their children together. They take care of one another. They bury one another. They're It is this joy and love that the Galatian Christians have for one another that, listen to this, will shake the Roman Empire to its very foundations. It's how they they treated one another that would shake the foundations of the Roman Empire. And I just wonder, do we live in such a way that it will shake the very foundations of culture? Or do we just live like everyone else and it doesn't shake anything? See, there's something that should be lived within us that causes, I, I would say, us, us to make waves. That causes such a disruption in culture that makes other people say, I want to be a part of whatever they have. I want to experience what those people at Lakeland have. They have this love for God and love for others that is so different than the thankless, loveless, fear-ridden, angry culture we live in. And I don't think, I mean, while, while America is prosperous, we're not a whole lot different than those early cities in terms of attitude, of fear and anger. Racial animosity, antagonism, and yet we could live like a culture that belongs to heaven, that inspires people to say, I want to be a part of that. I want to join that cause that's making such ripples in culture, because I'm tired of the way everything else is, is the way everyone's living. This Oh man, I got to think about how much time I got. Okay. Because I believe people are looking, they're, they're looking for something different, folks. They're looking for some, something that makes waves, a cause that shows them that they can be a part of something that, with different outcomes in life. If our marriages look just like every other marriage out there, it's a miss. If our families look like every other family out there, it's a miss. If the way we, we deal with our finances looks like everyone else out there, it's a miss. Are, are you getting this? Because everything should be so disruptive to culture that causes everyone else to say, you've got a different marriage. You've got, you handle your finances differently. You're, you handle your parenting differently. You handle your, your employees differently. You handle everything differently. And, and then when I invite them to be a part of a cause that's making waves, they'd say, I want to be a part of that. And so, man, I, oh man, how much time do I have? Crud. Okay, let me just do this. I'm, I'm gonna hop, there's two things I think we need to envision differently, but I'm going to hop to my second point, okay? So the guys in the back room, let me just go to my second point of things that we need to envision differently. This is one of the huge ones. The way we envision the church is changing. Often when we think of the church, we think of um, what is happening in a Sunday morning experience. We, we think of the services and we think of small groups. That's what we're often thinking of because it's what happens on Sunday and then between the Sundays. And what we really, in, I believe, we've got to change our whole view around. In fact, a lot of churches even used to talk about Sundays like the big game or going to the race. I know some churches who used to talk about Sundays as like Super Bowl every Sunday. Every Sunday you got to go and you, it's the Super Bowl every Sunday. It's huge. It's awesome. You got to be there. I think we got to change that whole 
whole view, that it's like, if it's like going to the, to the race, let's stay with that analogy for, for a moment, like going to NASCAR or something like that. This is how I view Sunday morning. Sunday morning experience is like the pit stop. It's where you get refueled up, you get your tires changed, you get tuned up. But then Monday through Saturday is the race. That's where all the action's at. And that happens through impact communities that are making an impact anywhere they go, wherever they went, right? That's what Acts tells us is that the gospel goes wherever they went, and that's where the impact is happening. And so if impact communities is the race, that's where all the action's at. That's where impact's happening, discipleship is happening, creativity and risk is happening. So for this to happen, our small groups need an upgrade, because I, I believe small groups are on their way to becoming a complete expression of the church anywhere. But here's what they need. To become a holistic expression of the church anywhere, they're going to need an upgrade in this area of impact. Because a lot of small groups in the ten, it has a tendency to look inward, like let's hop in the hot tub, let's simmer together with one another, let's do fellowship, let's love one another. It's all really important things. Let's grow in the knowledge of God, all really important things. And we have a tendency to not look outward. We lose sight of other people, and that's just, that can't be. We've got to elevate impact, that outward focus. And so if impact communities are going to be a holistic expression of the church anywhere, they can't just simply be focused on discipleship through the lens of personal growth, but also focused on outreach, taking the gospel wherever they went. And this is why we're calling it impact communities. It meshes both of these things, impact, mission, outreach, and community, which is often where discipleship takes place, okay? So we want to make an upgrade in the form of impact and that get elevated. So what does it mean? Well, for, ele- for impact to be elevated just means that your impact communities are going to make an impact in some form or fashion every month. Make an impact. So what does that mean? Well, what is an impact opportunity? What could it look like? In the past, when you've thought about maybe, maybe like, we want to make an impact, maybe you've only looked at it through the lens of like, Hey, let's paint a wall. Let's volunteer at some organization. Let's serve somewhere. Those are all good things, but I think we actually need to elevate our perspective of what it means to take the gospel wherever we go and to make an impact or what an impact opportunity could look like. Because as Acts 8, 4 says, they took the word wherever they went. So I want to tell you a story. And I heard this about 15 years ago from a pastor from Australia. He started his message by saying this, I am from your future. (laughs) That's how he started his message. He said, I come from Australia, which is a post-Christian nation. When people think of of like inviting someone to church, no one would want to go because everyone, it's it's not 60% that are de-churched, unchurched, non-church. It's 96%. So he goes, let me tell you, America, you're on your trajectory toward that. So let me tell you your future. You can't just have this perspective of, oh, we're going to invite people to church because they're not going to want to come. So how are you going to reach them? You got to change your whole view of how you reach them. And so he told about this one church that uh, would meet every single Sunday morning. They loved uh, meeting. They had a great time. But every single Sunday they uh, competed with the noise that was directly across the street. Because every Sunday across the street was an RC race car group that would gather and hundreds, if not thousands of people, would come every single Sunday and gather out there. And uh, while they were trying to sing their songs in the church, they would be fighting with loud music playing from across the street. And when the pastor's trying to preach, they're once again fighting with loud music from across the street. So one Sunday, as the, the congregation's diminishing over the years, one Sunday they all walk in, the pastor says, everyone stand up. And everyone stood up. And from behind the pulpit, he pulls out this RC race car. 
He says, everyone follow me. He walks across the street, him and his 40 people from the church. And as they walk into the field with all these race car people, someone greets them. It's like they have greeters. (laughs) And and they're like, how, how are you? Welcome. Where are you guys from? They're like, if this is your first time here. Yeah, this is our first time here. Me and a bunch of my friends, we've never done this before. Well, come on. And that day they hung out with all these people uh, racing RC race cars, got to know some of them. The next, and at the end of that Sunday, he told all of his people, he said, whoever can afford it, buy an RC race car. We're meeting back here next Sunday. And so they went once again back to the RC race car and, uh, and they hung out with the people and they raced their cars together and they built relationships and that type of thing. And what they started doing is before races began every single uh, Sunday, the church would gather right there in the field and the pastor would give a a short little message and they would break bread together. They would pray for one another and uh, and then they would race. And some of the people who would become their friends in this RC race car kind of group started saying, hey, could we join you for whatever you're doing? And they're like, oh yeah, come on over. So they started like, uh, people start joining them for this Bible study time before racing cars and prayer and breaking of bread and that type of thing. Well, they also had a need though. See, it's just meeting out in the field and they had no bathrooms there and no uh, kitchen for all their food. So the church is like, hey, we, we could make an impact here. We could meet a need. We've got a church building right across the street that could offer bathrooms and a kitchen over there and all that. And so they said, hey, how about every Sunday uh, the, the church is just open to everyone here at the, at the races. And so every single Sunday, so they, in time, they just became the RC church, race car church, and, uh, and the, the church became synonymous with the, with, uh, the race car. The, they just used the facility as they wanted, all the people there, and the church grew from 40 to 50 to 60 to 70 to, into the hundreds as they just simply went where they were. My question for us, what does it mean for us to take the gospel wherever they went. It's not that you need to go find something new to do. It's take the gospel where you already go. If you're a triathlete, you like love, those people are hardcore. You love racing. There's like a niche. That's a community. Guess what? They have races like every every week during the summer somewhere, and they need tons of volunteers. What would it look like for like you and a bunch of your friends, you and five of your friends, Impact Dream, to go and impact uh, triathletes and say, hey, we're just going to volunteer at some of these races once a month, invite people to come along, but then we're going to do community and we're going to grow in our love with God and one another in the off weeks, but we are going to focus and this is the people that the Lord's called us to reach, and we can do this anywhere. I know at the, you know, my Christmas Eve message, if you were here, I, I described it this way. I felt like 2020, if anything, maybe you felt like a lot got ripped out of your hands. And you felt like you were heading into the year, or at the end of the year, like this, open-handed. And I said, maybe that's maybe the best posture for us. I've been at Lakeland for a decade now. And in my first 10 years, I don't want to say that I held on to Lakeland like this, but I can tell you that I feel like as I'm heading into 2021, hopefully another decade here at Lakeland, I feel like this is my posture with the church in which I could kind of care less if more people come in the building 
or if we accomplish everything how things used to be accomplished. But I'd really love it if I could lead a group of people to love God with all of our hearts, to take the gospel wherever we went, to see impact communities in the bars, in inspired coffee, in the nursing homes, at the racetracks, online, and everywhere. And I think, it, I think it's going to be a little messier <laughs> than the first 10 years, but I think God will bless it. So about two months ago, we, uh, there's this guy in Uganda. His name's uh, Kasaja Emmanuel. He's probably watching right now. Welcome, Kasaja. And um, we started talking about you, five of your friends in an impact dream. And Kasaja has a dream. And so to reach his, his community there in Uganda and so where he lives. And so two months ago, he launched his, an impact community, his, our first Lakeland impact community in Uganda, him and five of his friends. And, um, and they're all about making an impact in their community. And so about a month ago, it was pretty awesome, they doubled from five to 10. And the next picture, or 11. And then I heard just two weeks ago, they, they multiplied again. And... Kasaja's passionate about making an impact wherever he goes. And I just think, <laughs> what would it look like? What's, the, what's you, a few of your friends, and the God-given dream that he's put on your heart? It's not to come and sit here week after week, by the way, folks. Let me just tell you right out. That's not it. There's a place where you already go. There's people you're already passionate about. And it's time that you press into those spaces. Some of you are going to launch impact communities that might grow to 50, 60, 100, 200 people. And we've got structure for all that, and we can encourage you and empower you in that. But it's a God-given dream that's unique to you that you'll be able to invite other people away or or two that's going to cause, it's going to make waves. Get out of the hot tub. Go make waves. Let me pray. Jesus, thanks for every person here. Thanks for every person watching online right now. I believe that there are people watching online right now who just got an assignment from the Lord. That the Lord is awakening something in them right now. Say, I can do this right where I live in Louisiana, right where I live in central Illinois, right where I live in Pennsylvania, right where I live in Honduras, right where I live in Costa Rica, right where I live. I can launch something. I can be a part of establishing a holistic picture of what the church looks like right where I'm at, wherever I go. And Lord, for so many of us who have gotten so used to sitting in the hot tub, 
Lord, awaken something within us that would give us a passion for you and others. Awaken an impact dream within us. We'd say, this is the community, this is the people I want to impact. Help us in this, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to this mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.